Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey, everyone, it's Claire and Nicole. So we are going to be doing some fun fireside chats in between our more robust episodes where we're talking to experts about whatever our topic is for the series. Right now it's education. So for this fireside chat, I thought it would be fun for me to share with Nicole and with all of y'all my recent experience testifying before the public, before the House Public Education Committee. Okay. And I'm going to pop in to say that I was hoping I could join Claire for this day, but it wound up that my home schedule changed a lot and I wasn't able to be there. And Claire has kept us a mystery from me. (laughs) I have. (laughs) (laughs) So that this could be a conversation where I am truly learning what happened. But we definitely exchanged some texts that day. And that night, Claire, when I checked in with you, the last thing I expected was that you were still there. Yeah. Yes. So so right now, the um, legislators are not in session. It's the interim. So they are just... Uh, okay, we're going to have Representative James Tallarico on our podcast soon. He actually sits on the House Public Education Committee to explain to us like the work they do outside of session. Um, but basically, I think they were just taking in feedback about what is working in schools from the administrative perspective, teacher perspective, and parent perspective. So when you could go testify, you could talk about pretty much anything. And the people who spoke, like it ran the gamut. So- Okay, wait, question. Yes. Yes. Okay, so you just talked about three points of view. So you say the administrator point of view, so principals- Superintendents. um, Okay, um, they were eligible to come speak. Yes, even business people, they- yeah, business people. They they had the mayor from Fort Worth that was there. They were talking about uh, workforce preparedness that uh, happens in schools for students so that they can graduate mm. and get a job, hopefully. So they were just listening to all kinds of different testimony, I think, to help set the stage for what they're going to prioritize in the next session. And it started at 10 a.m., and they had invited testimony and then public testimony. So oh, interesting. And how told- do you notify... How does that information get out? To the public? Um, I'm a part of some education groups. So I was getting emails from these people saying, hey, there's this hearing coming up. If you're available to testify, uh, I don't, I'm assuming it's but probably. But if you're the a- average citizen, yeah, I wonder on the state how website, you find that out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of information on there. So I think it's if it's an issue you care about, you're plugged into, you probably have like ally groups telling you, hey, go be there, go have your voice be heard. So we got there at 10 a.m. So what happens when you go to the Capitol is uh, it's big and really confusing. If uh, in this case, there wasn't much going on except for this. So I just kind of followed the people and went down to the bottom floor found a little kiosk. They have these like little iPads and you register to testify. So you put in your name, what you want to talk about, and then you're just in the queue until it's your turn. So no one really knew like, are we going to test? I've got there at 10, 1030 to sign up. 
So I was like, is this going to be at 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock? I didn't testify till 10.30 p.m. Like, it was all day. All day. And you had no indication of when that would happen. Okay. I mean, uh, okay, a little bit of indication because they had the agenda and all the invited testimony went first. By the way, I... I don't know what happened to my hand. I have ink all over it for those watching us. <laughs> I look yeah, crazy. If you're listening, it looks like Claire attacked an alien who has purple blood and spilled all over her hand. <laughs> I like to use my hand, so in case you're there curious. Yes, yes. Um, so, so they had the agenda. Um, they had like the education or commissioner speak first, Mike Morath and some other guys from TEA. I forgot who. Uh, and then they had people come up in four pe- four person panels. So this lasted to I think like six p.m. So lots of invited testimony. So I did have so I was there till about four thirty, and there was still an invited testimony. Like they didn't even get into the public. And I was told there was a hundred and thirty ish people who signed up. Wow. And normally you get three minutes to speak. So like imagine that that that's that's a lot. That's like hour fourteen plus hours. Wow. It's a lot of time. If you actually, yeah. Yeah. So, so I had a friend who was following the testimony online. They, they live stream it. And she said, if you want to leave and come back, I'll give you a heads up when I think public testimony will, will begin. So that's what I did. I left, got my boys, did dinner, gave them baths, put them down, went back to the Capitol around 9 p.m. Ah, Although, okay, I'll back up. So the invited testimony was a little extra exciting for me because they called up Dr. Annette Telly, who is a superintendent for Del Valley ISD, who we're going to be talking to, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, so it was so nice to see a familiar face on the agenda. And she shared how our school district is implementing the, she calls them authentic internships. So trying to reach out to local businesses and have them work with the district to create some sort of curriculum to help the students be prepared when they graduate so that these businesses can hire them on. Oh and my she's, gosh, what an amazing initiative. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is so important for our district because in other districts, these students might have parental connections or net or community connections, but where we are, it's, there's less, uh, less of those strong ties. So the school's trying to step up and be that bridge. Ooh, and she ooh, was so great. That's so good. It speaks yes. right to my heart. Yes. Oh, yes. I I'm love what you're saying about fan. her. Because, yeah, she really <laughs> sounds like addresses problems very directly. Mm-hmm. She like, sees something that needs solving and creates solutions. Yes. Love it. She's amazing. I feel so fortunate to have her in our leadership. So I got to hear Annette and say hello. It was very nice to um, be able to witness her testimony firsthand and chat with her afterwards. So then she left, I left, I come back. I really wanted to speak about charter schools and we're going to get into charter schools soon with an episode where we talk to Patty Everett, who knows a lot about this area. But I just wanted to share my experience about what happened in my neighborhood with a charter school. I'll try to summarize it very quickly. Uh, okay, but- Claire, yes. I'm going to do that thing right? interrupt <laughs> you down. again. <laughs> yeah, well, I am. I'm going to slow you down a bit. I just want to make sure that I'm really understanding what this committee was doing. And this is the Committee yes. for Public Education in mm-hmm. Texas. 
Okay, so this is the house, the, the house. Texas State House, mm-hmm. and they're generally sort of checking in on concerns and issues in public education so they can set their agenda for when the actual session begins right in january 2023 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so the testimony whether invited or public can run the gamut for what people's concerns are in this case yes yes okay that's not always the case but that's the case this time i yes i and i think that they titled it is parental empowerment which means kind of anything sure if you're a parent uh right. yeah <laughs> right it's very individually defined right by your family's priorities okay mm-hmm. yes and parents had a spectrum of what they considered the top priority for me i wanted to share my experience about charter schools because i shared my testimony that i live in a newer neighborhood in southeast austin where we have a lot of houses and we have schools ranch land and not much else. Like I have to drive 20 minutes to go to the grocery store, to restaurants, any of that stuff. Development isn't here yet on the commercial side, but where I live, there is a commercial development. And of course, all of us neighbors are very invested in what's going to go there because then we won't have to drive so much. So we're like grocery store, restaurant, anything cool. But Idea Charter School bought the land and that was really weird. I'll back up one more step. The reason we found out that this transaction had happened was a neighbor stumbled upon the marketing flyer for this commercial space, and Idea was written on there. So Idea never told us they were coming. Um, The the builder never told us this transaction had happened. It was very – it kind of felt very in the dark and in the shadows. Yeah. So this didn't, like, show up in your mailboxes. Oh, no. It didn't. It wasn't, like, a – thing that was announced to the neighborhood officially in any way. Correct. And an idea charter school is a public school. And that was weird because it's like, this is a public business, I don't know, entity. So why wasn't the public involved in that process? Because as we've learned, they receive 100% of state funds, so our money. And I was like, how can they make this decision without our engagement? So I was sharing this with the committee. I was saying I felt very disempowered as a resident. Um, not necessarily that I didn't want to charter, but it's a finite space and they're taking space that should be designated for something else because we had a brand new school open in 2018. There's another school down the road. There'd be three schools in a two mile radius. And as I mentioned at the top, we have schools. We don't have these other things that we need. So I come to find out that the reason they were able to do this, what felt like in the shadows was because when you have an existing charter like IDEA, They just have to apply for an expansion amendment, and they do that to TEA, and it's pretty much the Educational Commissioner, Mike Morath, who gives thumbs up or thumbs down, and he almost always gives thumbs up. So I was like, why is it like this? I feel like I didn't have anyone I could appeal to and try to stop it and be like, hello, can we not get this thing? So I was telling the committee, I think that this should be taken out of the hands of TEA and perhaps put in the hands of SBOE. Because as we learned, the State Board of Education, education, they're an elected body and they approve new charter applications. They give the green light after it's been vetted by TEA. So I suggested that they retool it. So maybe it's that way as as a suggestion. Uh, Said my testimony, said thank you, left like 11 p.m. Wow. And then I went home and I like tuned back in to listen to more testimony because I still had folks that I knew that were testifying I don't know when they stopped, maybe 1, 1 a.m. 
it, it was a lot. It was a long night, and and these legislators, like not all of them, but some of them stayed the whole time. So very appreciative that they stuck it out too, because that's right. a long, long day. But there were some parents there who. Wait, Claire, before before we move on, <laughs> I want to make sure that for someone who's listening, they just, they understand what you've said so far. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to clarify. Yes. Summary. So, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I hear you saying, um, is that your, what you wanted to testify about is your experience with a charter school coming into your neighborhood and it felt like you just didn't have any notice. It was all of a sudden mm-hmm. going to be there and you and your neighbors, your community didn't feel like you understood how that happened, um, especially when as a community, you've prioritized other things that mm-hmm. you were really hoping to round out the community, uh, like a grocery store and like some restaurant spaces and just some more commercial things. So once you discovered that, you kind of start doing the research backwards of like, how mm-hmm. did this happen? And turns out that once a charter school has been through the approval process and when it is approved, it does go through the State Board of Education. But once it has been approved by the State Board, once it wants to expand or if it wants to expand, then it no longer has the same kind of level of being vetted. It can just be approved right, by the commissioner. Schools. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like expansion can just happen and potentially happen and happen and happen because the process is not as rigorous. Rigorous. Thank you. Great word. (laughs) Okay. So that was your testimony. Yes. And the other thing I tagged onto that, that I forgot to mention just now, is I came to learn if you're in a local ISD, like I'm in Del Valley ISD, if you want to open a brand new school, you have to go through a bond process. And normally what happens is the school district assemble some sort of committee of parents and community members, and they decide what should be prioritized in the school bond. Then voters decide if they're going to allow bond funds to be available to do these projects or not. So public is very much involved in all of that. And I know this because I helped in 2019 to try to get the Del Valley school bond passed so that they could rebuild some older schools. And it was a heavy lift. I mean, you had to educate voters. You had to, you had to, we sent it, we, we were all volunteers. We fundraised, we sent out mailers, encouraged people to vote yes. And ultimately they did. So the funds were available to build these schools, but the charter wasn't like that at all. And I was like, how is this so different? It felt very unfair. Yeah. No kidding. That was part of it. Well, because what you're describing about that other process with the school bond is, I mean, my ears hear a process that's very wise because you're immediately getting community input and buy-in, mm-hmm. right? And and I assume, like, if you can't get the community to sign on even for that part of the process, it's just not going to go very far, mm-hmm. right? So it it's already a team effort where everybody is aware and learning together about what is needed in terms of the education and yeah. the education needs in that area. But yeah, but the this and that's so interesting that the charter school process is very much what feels like behind closed doors, behind curtains that nobody really mm-hmm. understands. Huh. It does. It does. And as I started to learn more, you see there's there's more fallout that happens that I don't know people really realize. Had had this charter school come in 
what happens is it's going to draw students away from those other two existing schools. And these schools are going to have stranded costs, meaning they're going to, I believe the way schools are funded is per student. So if they lose the student, they lose the funding. The funding goes with the student. Well, you can't necessarily have less teachers. Like let's, how many, well, I'll ask you this, Nicole, when you were teaching in school, how many children were in your classroom? Like approximately. Approximately 22. Okay. 22. We, We had high enrollment. And so we were usually at the maximum. Okay. So 21, 22, right up there. So, and how many teachers were there for your grade? Our second grade team was consistently six teachers at least. Okay. Sometimes seven. Okay. So if you have six teachers and you have, let's say, five kids leave to go to the charter, you're not going to go down to wait, sorry, six, you're not going to go down to five teachers. You still have to have the six teachers and you're still paying for the six teachers, but you have less money because those five kids went away. So that's what stranded costs looks like is you still have the basic operating expenses, but you have to do the same with less money because of the way the money works. Well, and let's talk about this. It does. Um, but also like leveling happens in a district, right? So I think it's usually, or this is how it was when I was teaching is that six weeks in to the school year, leveling happens. So if the numbers per classroom are not being met, um, or if some schools are over-enrolled and have too many kids per classroom, they look around and figure out how to redistribute people. So it could mean that that things change. For instance, um, when I taught in Dallas, um, that was when I taught at a Title I school that had an extremely low socioeconomic status level. And so we never really had a good picture of what enrollment was going to be like um, Mm -hmm. because there there was a lot of uh, movement. Yeah. Is there a word for Um, that when kids move schools frequently? I feel like there... There probably is. I'll come to Look that up. That'll be a vocabulary (laughs) lesson. Um, But for the first six weeks of that school year when I was teaching kindergarten, I had 27, 28 kids. We were overcrowded and all of us had that many kids. So we knew that when leveling came, we were going to qualify for another teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, But until then, right, we were just like bursting at the seams, doing everything we could to try to stay functioning. So it was just a lot of crowd management, frankly, at the beginning of that school year. So it, it all is, there are multiple effects, I guess, is what I'm really getting at when enrollment is not predictable. Right. And when you can have an overabundance of kids and underabundance of kids. Like it, it really is a lot kind of on the psyche of a school mm-hmm. and a staff. Um, that was re- that was tough being over-enrolled. I can only imagine what it's like to be under-enrolled and you are just sort of waiting for the ax to drop. Yeah. Because if you can predict that that's coming and then come all the formulas for who who gets pulled away. And it's it's usually mm-hmm. a seniority thing. And sometimes it's based on, or at least it was in my day, based on who was last hired. It doesn't mean the teacher with the least experience. It would mean oh. the teacher who was last hired. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole thing too that can just make it complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing I'll mention too is the two existing schools were under-enrolled. So it's not like there was in like they oh. were bursting at the seams. So there oh, was goodness. a need for the third and the f- I don't know who, like, no one talked to us. So it's like, how did they know this? It felt like they just picked, like, we're going to go here because there's available space for sale. And it's like, well, you're public 
entity, why wasn't the public consulted? So that's what I went to go talk about. That is so bizarre. Can we also bring up that the language of all of it is very confusing? Mm -hmm. I just happened, I was walking the dog in the neighborhood and, and saw a neighbor who I know has four kiddos. Um, and I noticed on the back of her car, she has a sign that says Valor Public Schools. And I'd never heard of that before. So I came home and did a little Google search and saw that it's that it's a charter school. Mm-hmm. But but the language, right, on the sticker is Valor Public Schools. Yeah. It would be really easy to just because I guess it is a public school, but it's also a public charter school. Like that's it's that's very confusing. It is confusing. Uh, and honestly, I didn't know much about charters at all until Idea Charter School bought land in our neighborhood. And I was trying to Google and just inform myself and understand how this could have happened. And it was very difficult to get my head around it because there wasn't a lot of clear information. Um, and that's how I ended up finding Patty Everett, who is who we're interviewing. It's going to be on the show and she's going to fill us in. Um, but I went on a real rabbit hole to find her. Um, I, I think I read an article from years ago where a, uh, school board member from some ISD was being interviewed talking about charters. And I think I sent her a message on Twitter and was like, this is our, our situation. Do you have anyone? Can you explain this? And she was like, you should talk to this person. And I did that just maybe to three random folks from articles I read and they wow. sort of all steered me to Patty, which is funny to think about it because it's it's still in the dark. And Patty shared with me that a lot of people don't know about this. A lot of representatives don't really understand this. And it was shocking to me because uh, it's such a big piece of the public education pie, Yes, but it's it's somehow in the shadows. I can't think of a better way to describe it. Right. Why I'm still finding myself scratching my head about the fact that I am a former public school teacher and how much I didn't know and still don't know. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's shocking. Yeah. (laughs) And fascinating. And sometimes feels like it is by design that these things are, are not in the light and just Mm -hmm. so easily understandable and easy to find information about. Yes. That makes me so mad because it's like, this is a democracy. Where's the transparency? Where's the accountability? And it's another conversation if we should or shouldn't have charters, but it's like, if we are going to have them, they need to at least be on the same playing field as local ISDs. And they're not, I come to find out. And that just, it's just like one of my things. It gets me on a soapbox. Like, why is this permissible? I don't like this. Well, I think you make such a good point, which is that when information feels like it is being withheld or at least really difficult to find, that sends a message, whether it's the one that they intend or not. And I love this like very vague they I'm talking about, <laughs> um, whoever is in charge of all this. We, it's like that part is even a little confusing. Um, but yeah, you, it, it means that then the conversation that we can have about charter schools already is starting from a really funny place, right? right. Uh, from a place of suspicion and skepticism. 
instead of just like, let's have a healthy and curious and open discussion and dialogue about it. When it is information that is being withheld, it feels like the people have an agenda and they're trying to run it without oversight. Mm -hmm. They're not just making basic information available. Right. Yeah. And then it's, yes, it's hard not to get cynical because you want to have a conversation in good faith, but it's like, are they intentionally withholding? Yes. And then if that's the case, how do we get, be like, okay, we got to get honest about what's happening here and then we can talk. And I think that's with a lot of things in our political discourse. And that's why a lot of people are like, I'm out. I don't want to do this. No, I think you've really touched on it. That's exactly it. Is that it doesn't feel like we have good faith conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, That, yeah, we have sides that are not playing by the same rules. Um, No matter which side, because I would imagine each side feels the same about the other. And that is frustrating, right? That how polarized we are. Yeah. Well, I'll just quickly share some highlights and lowlights of the other testimony that came about in the public comments. So public comments, like anyone can say anything, anything, like it doesn't have to be vetted at all. So there was a, a big common theme that we kept hearing over and over was social emotional learning. Some parents being very much against that being taught and some being like, we have to teach this to our children to help them be good people. (laughs) It's hard not to be, I don't know, judgmental is the right word, but the parents who were against social emotional learning, I just really had to scratch my head because I was like, this isn't a boogeyman. This feels very basic. Mm-hmm. helping kids be able to articulate their emotions and have empathy for other children and doing that at an age appropriate level and then building as they, you know, go up in school so that when they go into the world they are empathetic humans. I'm like this is debated. Like why are we debating this? So, so what was, is the argument against? Uh, I I I don't it was it's hard for me to understand just because it feels so like strange to me. Um, I'm trying to recall what these parents were saying. I think, I think for them, it's about control that they want to control. They want, they want their children to just learn like ABCs and one, two, threes, anything beyond that they are very uncomfortable with. So when you start talking about, yeah, the inner workings and, and asking kids like, are you okay? Do you feel safe? I I think that puts them on edge. Like, why are you asking there? Are they okay? Why are you asking if they're not safe? They get very defensive. And it's like asking these questions doesn't imply that that's the case. It's just a check-in, you know, but I think just putting it out there. Uh, it, it strikes, it very much strikes a nerve for them. Okay. So, um, so there was a lot of that. Okay. A lot. I, my teacher alarm bells are going off. Yes. I'm yes. thinking about when I taught school and how I think that I'm, I'll, okay, I'll speak for myself, but I am going to do a little bit of, and I bet most teachers feel this way. <laughs> like I know as a teacher, I felt that I would love nothing more than to teach the academic subjects. Like nothing would give me greater joy or pride than Mm -hmm. to be completely focused on the core subjects. The problem is, right, 
they're whole people. They are whole little people who have emotions, who have, you know, family dynamics, who have pressures on them that they bring from home to school. It's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And if you can't talk about that and address that, you cannot, you cannot focus on purely academics. Those Mm -hmm. things, when you talk about basic needs, right? If those basic needs are not being met, there is no space for academic learning. There just isn't. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, I think I understand maybe the point of view of not wanting that, but I feel like it's not realistic. It's incredibly idealistic. That would be so lovely to never need to address the emotional needs of your classroom because you don't need to, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's there. Mm -hmm. They're fully fed. They had a great night's sleep. They have a loving family. And so let's just get going on math and science and reading today. But that's not how they come. That's just not how they come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I get the impression for these parents, anything that feels a little outside of black and white feels starts to feel kind of gray they're like leave that that that's for us to do as parents but the thing is we're I mean I I'm not an expert like I have my two children and I'm learning as I go but like teachers are like you're saying they're with these kids all the time and you you know what you're doing (laughs) so why are we so distrustful of that process and um I think about this book I bought soon after I had my son he, and he was getting to toddlerhood called How to Speak So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Speak. And it's all about social emotional learning, basically. If your kid's having a tantrum, don't be like, don't have a tantrum. You don't need that cookie, you know, barking at them. Instead saying, you're really upset. You really want that cookie. You want that cookie. Nicole, it's just like Meisner. <laughs> from our acting class (laughs) reading behavior and 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 when you're saying that they they're like i am upset they feel that recognition and it magically helps sort of like diffuse those uh really intense feelings and then they can move past it faster and get on to the next thing like you're talking about in the classroom so when we deny that we deny 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 we don't i mean it's just we're fight like we're, we're going upstream, it feels like. So that's 100%. what these parents were talking about. Yeah, because here's another testimonial. I I had some kiddos where we had to clear the room. Um, I can think of one student in particular. And if her emotional needs were not addressed, she would lash out mm-hmm. violently. And I don't mean to sound dramatic, but to the point where we would have to clear the room. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, things went a whole lot better when I had conversations with her about what was happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they need help understanding what's happening. Oh Adults, goodness. we need help understanding what's happening. I think these parents don't really understand what's happening inside of them. Well, we know I, that we're having a mental health crisis in this country. We know this. The mm-hmm. evidence is all around us. Yes. So why not start? having a common language, a way to talk about our feelings and to work through them at a young age. I just, I guess I don't see the downside, but this is, again, this is all about perspectives. And so Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I want to open my mind to understanding other people. It's just really hard sometimes. Yes. Uh, It's hard. Um, 
because it feels like we come from such different pers- different places on the spectrum. And I have to be like, they're here because they care about their kids. Yes. that's I'm here too because I care. But the tension and the thing, I don't know how we work on this collectively, is the we. You know, like I know you really care about your student, but public education is about you know, all the students yes. and, and the teacher can't be focused in on just your kid because the other kids will suffer. And likewise, you wouldn't want them to zone in on just your neighbor's kid. I mean, we have to stop being so self-centered. It, it feels very self-centered sometimes when parents are having these conversations, which reminds me of another testimony this one mother gave. She was talking about how she went to her child's school board meeting and she did not wear a mask. I guess at the time it was required. And she was physically removed by two police officers. And it was traumatizing for her children. And then anytime she tried to go to a sport event, she was like, and you know I was going to be there. She, I think she still had to wear a mask. And she wouldn't. So she had to be physically removed. And how traumatizing this was to her kids. And I was like, why didn't you just walk out? I mean, why did you have to be physically removed? There's rules for a reason. And if you don't like those rules you're not like queen of the world. Like we have to live in society together. And, and if we don't abide by them, consequences happen. I also bring this up because when I was on my panel, they brought up four of us. One, one we have three minutes, right? And there's uh, like little lights indicating when your time's up. So the yellow light goes out. So you, so you have one more minute. So, she, so then it goes to the red light, er, like her time's up. And the chairman's like, ma'am, you're finished. Ma'am, you're finished. She keeps talking and talking and talking. And he was like, I'm going to let you wrap it up. She keeps talking for like another minute and he starts banging his gavel like, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. And, and uh, she wouldn't stop. So he said, excuse me, security, can you remove her? She wasn't following the rule. We all were, right? We're all tired. We all waited. Why does she think she gets a special treatment? So the security person comes over to escort her out and she's like, I'm perfectly fine here. I was just like, what are you doing? Wait, in front of the microphone is what she's saying? Yes. So she's refusing to leave. Yes. And finally, she did get up and walk away. I mean, this man was being very polite. Like, um, the chairman asked you to leave. You need to leave. And she's, and I'm like, this is how it works for every, why are you so special that you get to go over your time? And then when you're asked to leave, you're not going to leave. This isn't, this isn't how it works. I don't, yeah, I'm baffled. (laughs) I'm really, yeah. really baffled. Very entitled. Well, how how can we have conversations if that is the way that it's going to be handled, right? If we're not even starting from the same basic understanding of how the conversation's going to work, which mm-hmm. is give and take, and that you get to say a little and I get to say a little and we listen to each other and we're quiet mm-hmm. when yes. it's time to listen to the other person. Yes, we're respectful. But instead, we just decide, nope. There's a whole different set of rules for me, and I'm yes. fine with it this way. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, I, yeah, how do you, I don't know what, how to combat that or like how to just make that work. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the good news is if you needed to say your piece, there was a place to do it, but there was a procedure to go before the committee, and you just have to follow that because otherwise it's going to be chaos if we're all rushing to get to the microphone like that doesn't work there's a process to go through so you have to be respectful of that in this case and in other cases in these schools we have to remember they're in charge of hundreds of children so we have to give them some grace i think because they're 
they're doing such a big thing. Well, and <sighs> this is a recurring theme of as we've had these conversations at this point, as we record this with Representative Goodwin, with Candace Hunter, who's running for the Board of Trustees, and with Dr. Audrey Young from the State Board of Education, which is the recognition that schools right now have become the battleground for all of the major societal issues right now. And wow, that breaks my heart because you think about the level of pressure on administrators, on school teachers, and frankly, on children too, because we know that this has to affect them. Absolutely. And wow. I mean, I think about that, that, yeah, the, the woman who was removed for not wearing her mask, how her daughter probably feels. Maybe she's like, oh, they're picking on my mom. Or maybe she's like, mom, stop, you know? Yeah. Uh, that That's the thing. I, I can completely see what she's saying. I bet it is traumatic for your children. It oh, is yeah. traumatic I would imagine to watch a parent being physically removed from something. Yeah. Yeah. But you had the power to, to make sure that that didn't happen. Yes. yes. I don't understand the personal responsibility part of that is really confusing to me. Like she had a choice about that. Mm -hmm. You, you know, the rules you are knowingly violating the rules. So then there are consequences for that. And you've chosen the most traumatic consequences possible for your behavior. So just like, where's the responsibility that you're taking on for that? I don't, I like, I don't understand. Yeah, it's got to be there. Anyway, the whole time I was at the testimony, I was like, like that emoji, like, oh my God, what's <laughs> what happening? <is> happening? <laughs> but anyway, we'll just, that's, just wanted to share that with everyone. If you've testified and have a fun experience. Let or us know. Funny. <laughs> yes. Slash crazy. Please share. All right. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.